Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. Broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening. As always, we're going to be starting off uh, here in just a moment or two with uh, another great round and discussion here on the Coach's Corner panel, and I'll introduce the guys here in just a moment. And a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, Kathy Kim. Uh, she's both a PJ and LPJ teach professional, and uh, she's going to be joining me. She was actually on uh, the Women of Golf show this past Tuesday with Cindy Miller and I, and uh, she's uh, coming back tonight. Uh, to continue the conversation with me here on Golf Talk Live. So I'm really excited to have her back on. Uh, just a quick reminder, of course, the show is live every Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, I will, of course, at the end of the show, uh, give you some other ways that you can listen to the program as well. But um, first things first, uh, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top-quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teacher professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today. Go to golftipsmag.com. All right, as I mentioned, I've got a couple of great guys here on the Coach's Corner panel. And first up is uh, Pete Buchanan. He is the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf, LLC. Uh, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And uh, Peter has uh, been teaching uh, golf for 30-plus years in the business, so he's been around for a while. Also equally uh, well-seasoned uh, is uh, my good friend Clint Wright. He is also a 30-year member of the PGA, uh, partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, and uh, among the best covering the short game today, and uh, also another favorite guest, uh, a panelist here on Coach's Corner. So, guys, uh, welcome to the panel tonight. Uh, glad to be here, Ted. Thanks, Ted. It's always fun to be on. All right, I appreciate it, guys. All right, so tonight about, uh, we'll try to get through as many as, as we can, uh, golf etiquette, do's and don'ts. Uh, this is an area that a lot of, uh, particularly amateurs, obviously, and even some seasoned players, uh, believe it or not, uh, fall short on a lot of these uh, that we're going to talk about today. And I thought, you know, people are always asking, I'm sure you guys have probably had the same, they're always asking, you know, what are some of the things, you know, what are the do's and what are the don'ts, basically, uh, when we head to the golf course. So, Clint, I'm going to start off with you tonight. And uh, sure. I think a good one is is respecting the rules of golf uh, of the golf course uh, you're playing. Uh, this includes uh, everything from the dress code to uh, keeping your, your cart on the path uh, when and where instructed. Maybe you could just touch on some of the other rules that uh, we might find uh, while we're at the golf course that we need to be mindful for. Well, I think you hit on, t- you know, one of the most important one is how you deal with your golf cart. You know, we have more more problems with uh, 
you know, keeping your cart on the path and stuff. And I know, you know, here recently some guy, of course, has got away from cart path, back to the old school, around the greens and tees. They have cart paths, and then they use a scatter pattern, you know, out in the fairways and stuff. But we, I think that's mm-hmm. the, the main thing is, is that to understand there's a lot of hard work that goes into keeping the golf course playable for you and uh, to be mindful of the cart rules. Uh, we're not too too restrictive on cart rules at the clubs that I'm involved with other than around the tees and the greens. We we really, you know, um, like to keep them well back away from the uh, – off the tees and well back from the greens, with one exception, that's the, the old guys with the handicap flag, is we, we kind of turn our, turn the other way and don't see those carts sometimes <laughs> because we we know that they just need to, get, need to get a little closer to keep, keep them moving along, you know. Um, and, you know, I guess the really the thing that, that an overlying concept is try to leave the golf course better than you found it. You know, re- mm-hmm. repair, repair the ball marks if you see it, whether it's not yours or, or somebody else's. If, you're, if the course wants you to refill divots, you know, fill yours in. If you see somebody miss one, fill it in. You know, so just try to leave the golf course better than you find it. And, and be respectful of the people you're playing with and, um, uh, you know, have, have a good time and chit and chat and tell jokes and whatever. But be respectful that – I guess the rule that we always wanted to have as far as that's concerned was that we want our players to have as much fun as they can without interfering with the other persons having their fun too. You know, right. so it is going to be screaming and yelling and dumping, you know, running all over the place and – Make sure your beer cans get in the trash can and, and just leave it better than you found it and have as good a time as you can have without interfering with somebody else's good time. And that's, those two things yeah, I are the, the best two rules you could say. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and also, just one other thing I want to point out, and, and I'll, obviously all uh, every course differs on this, but uh, it's always a good idea, especially if you've never played the course, uh, when you go into the pro shop, uh, uh, to uh, you know, uh, confirm your tee time, it's always good to ask them if there are any local rules uh, out in the right. golf course as well. Sometimes, depending on the course, uh, they may have some local rules that uh, you need to be definitely need to be aware of, and some of them actually may even benefit uh, your your pay uh, your play. Uh, a lot of them sometimes to help speed up the pace of play. Uh, if your ball strays off into, as an example, into uh, the neighboring fairway or certain uh, areas. Sometimes you can actually, some local rules will actually allow you a free drop. So uh, always uh, check on those when you go in, but you're exactly right. I think you need to be um, showing up and you need to be respectful of the course and of others that are going to be out there and uh, just make sure that you, as you said, leave it better uh, than when you came. Um, Pete, uh, another one too is, is uh, and, and Clint sort of alluded to this, is, but be aware of other golfers while you're out in the course. Uh, a lot of times we drive around in a course or we walk and, you know, we hear four uh, yelled out a few times. Uh, and a lot of people don't know what that's for. Maybe you can explain a little bit about that. And, and also some of the other things that maybe we need to be conscious of while we're out there playing. I mean, we want to have fun, as Clint pointed out, uh, but there's other things to be aware of and to be mindful of uh, while we're out there playing of our fellow golfers, not just in our own group, but in other groups as well. Maybe you can just touch on some areas there. Well, I think in some of the, the golf courses, especially when you're getting holes that are close to each other, um, you know, you want to be a little bit mindful of, of others that are hitting, making sure that you're not going to interrupt if they're already, 
you know, getting into their setup and getting ready to hit. You don't want to interrupt that. So, you know, be aware of the other groups around you. Um, you know, when you're getting ready to hit shots, when you're hitting on, on you know, sometimes you have tee boxes close to, to greens. And so just be aware of when you're hitting, when somebody's putting. So, you know, Clint hit it. I mean, just look at, you know, look around you and, and you know, make sure that you're, you would want everybody else out there to be, you know, mindful of what you're doing as well as you're mindful of what they're doing. And, you know, the, the old yelling of four, I mean, I suppose if you send the ball in a direction of people who aren't looking, then, uh, you know, that's, that's the common thing to yell. So, um, you know, for most part, uh, you know, errant shots are going to happen. So sometimes you're going to have that, um, you know, you want to make sure that it's not intentional. I mean, you know, I know sometimes with the pace right. of play, people can get a little bit upset and they, you know, they're, you know, the group in front of them is not going fast enough, but little do they know the group in front of them is not going anywhere either. And so, you know, they get a little bit upset. So, you know, you don't want to do that. I mean, everybody's out there to have a good time. So try to make sure that you're mindful of, you know, keeping up with the group in front of you. That's really, really what you have to do. And, you know, at sometimes, you know, the marshals are out there to hopefully keep pace of play going, especially for those of you who play early in the morning. I mean, you're the, you're the trendsetter. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about pace of play, get right. up there and move. You know, the first groups off the tee are the important ones. They set the pace for the rest of the day. And so, you know, if you're going to be one of those early ones getting out there, and usually those are the ones that are out there, they're out there because they want to get done. Um, but, you know, I, I think right. from, you know, just a, a basic standpoint of, of you know, just, just be aware of your surroundings. I think more than anything else, that not only holds true from other players that are around you, but, you know, looking at the areas around you is, you know, I, I had a great lesson one time. We were walking from the clubhouse down to the driving range and, we passed, there was a styrofoam cup on the ground and the head pro looked at me and says, am I going to pick that up or are you going to pick it up? And that was pretty much a profound statement because he was just saying, you know, when you see stuff like that, pick it up. You know, just make sure that, you know, you're always aware of trying to keep the place clean, keep it nice. You know, we want to keep the place as, as you know, respectful as we can, and that's just going to be better for everybody. So, um, but, yeah, I think, you know, it's it, – I think pace of play has become a big issue lately um right you know i know sometimes on the weekends it just takes forever i mean i know when i was a kid growing up if you played in four hours you got yelled at so you know it was just you know right. 315 <laughs> and you're, you're done um but you know it's it's just i know people want to have fun but also be mindful of pace you know don't be out there and take yeah. six and a half hours to play you know that's that's a long time you should be done in four i mean there's there's you know even even if you have somebody in your group shooting 72 and somebody shooting 100, you can still both play in four hours. Just be ready when it's your turn. That's another thing that, that's, yeah. you know, I think the carts overall have slowed the game down because you get three people mm-hmm. watch the one hit, then they drive over, and the three watch the one hit, then they drive over, and the three watch the one hit. You know, you're adding five or ten minutes a hole, whereas if you're walking, you go straight to your ball and play. So I think to a certain extent, yeah. um, carts can make the game slower, not faster. So, um you know, just be aware of your time. Be aware of what's around you, and you know, play faster. No, just kidding. Just keep up, keep up the pace. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's funny they said the same thing about computers. They said computers were going to make life easier, things would be faster and quicker, and and certainly in some cases there are, but it actually ends up creating more work than than what it used to in some of the old uh, fashioned ways. And and one thing just on a, on a point there um, for. Um, Yelling four on the golf course has traditionally been used uh, because the number four is easy to uh, carry a long distance uh, so that hopefully people uh, ahead of you will hear that. 
And it's always a good idea to make sure you yell it uh, before the ball hits the person or uh, drops out in front of them. Uh, that way it gives them an opportunity. And, and you know, uh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Uh, just make sure you F O R E, not F O U R. It's you know, different in the enunciation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, you'd be surprised. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many times I've been out in a golf course over the years, and I've seen somebody hit an errant shot, and I've had to yell it out because they just were waiting, and they said, "Well, I want to see where the ball goes." I said, "Yeah, but you've got a group over here. You need to." To, uh, to be cognizant and respectful. And, uh, yeah. you know, just one other point I want to mention, Pete, that you were talking about, about, um, you know, sort of looking around and that, you know, you, if you've got four people in the group and one's hitting, uh, you know, it's always good to see, keep an eye on that player's ball. Um, and one or two is fine, but all three of the rest of you don't need to keep an eye on it. It's always good, and I always recommend this, have at least one of the players uh, keep their eyes looking around and about to see if, for some reason, there is an issue um, with, you know, with um, groups coming up behind or other fairways, uh, groups in other fairways and that. So it's always a good idea, I think, to have one person uh, each hole to be looking around and making sure that there's no, you know, imminent danger. So that's always a good idea to do that. And uh, you already touched on... Uh, you know, pace of play. So uh, again, you know, you want to keep the pace going. And I agree, Pete, you raised another valid point about golf carts. I think actually golf carts make it worse because um, instead of people walking up to uh, and be prepared for their shot, they're looking for somebody's ball or they're traveling, you know, following each other around on the carts and it just sort of slows things up. So um, Clint, I want to come back to you. And this is an area, uh, again, uh, sort of comes into to the etiquette. One of the do's is that is, uh, to remain quiet um, while somebody is preparing to hit or actually hitting their shot. Touch a little bit about that. Well, I think it's just common courtesy, you know. But um, one of the things we can add to before getting it about the carts is that we never really use the cart to take us to our ball. We use the cart to kind of get mm-hmm. us in the vicinity, and then everybody goes to the ball, comes back to the cart, and then goes on. Um, so that, that does help it a little bit. But – you know, golf is a quiet sport, supposedly. You know, here lately we've seen a lot more, you know, uh, clapping and yelling and, and stuff and some of the, the pro tour things that's set up with the grandstands and stuff, which is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But generally speaking, talking while somebody's hitting is, is more just on the tee box on the first shot of the hole because everybody kind of spreads out after that, and then you then you get up onto the putting green where you kind of come together. So, in that area, I think it's it's best just to, you know, go about your business. You know, talk to your mm-hmm. – if you want to talk to somebody, talk to them while you're riding in the cart to go find your ball. Uh, and then, uh, you know, don't stand right behind somebody when they're hitting on their line. You know, stand to the side. You know, I've always tried not to stand on the teen area when somebody else is hitting. And what I mean by right. that is that two, cl- that two club links deep. I'm going to stay off of that portion of the teeing ground until it's my turn to play. So then I'm not going to have yep. much of an opportunity to talk to anybody, and I'm not going to interfere with somebody else playing. Uh, and putting, you know, kind of the same thing. You don't stand on the line. You, you're, you know, the hole generally is surrounded by the ball, so stay, in your, stay, stay with your business, and then you won't, won't have that. But it's a, a simple common courtesy for a person to be able to focus on their shot instead of having to carry on a conversation or listen to one. 
Uh, and it's just a brief period of time. It's not like it's, you know, I, I tell people, you know, if you think about it, it only takes you, you know, if you if you take a full minute to hit every shot you hit and you shoot 90, it only takes an hour and a half to play. And you're out right. there for four hours. So you, so you got two and a half hours to talk to somebody other than that minute, <laughs> which is a, is an eternity to hit a shot. Y'all both know that. And so there's plenty enough time right. to carry on a conversation versus the time somebody's preparing to hit their shot. So it's just, to me, it's just common courtesy. Yeah, and that's a great a great point. And and again, you know, obviously, uh, as you progress down the fairway, you're a little more spread out, uh, so it's not going to affect uh, you know the same. But um, certainly on the tee box and on the green, you know, you need to be respectful. You know, uh, keep quiet. And and really, what you can do is be thinking about what you're going to do uh, when you step yeah, up. That's right. Uh, to hit your tee shot or your putt, you know, get get yourself. Uh, kind of in the mindset, okay, what do I need to do here in, in order to maybe uh, get a birdie or save par or whatever the case may be. Um, so sure. you need to be focusing on that. And, you know, and, and, and again, just be respectful, not standing in their line. And, and definitely on the putting surface, you don't walk on their line either. Uh, that's that's right. something that uh, I think comes in. Um, Pete, another thing is, as well is a lot of people get confused with um, in the order in which they, which they play. Uh, you know, you're playing with your foursome, and there's really a couple of ways uh, that you can do it. There's uh, a term uh, playing by honors is one and also play uh, ready golf. Maybe you can explain for, for those that don't have a lot of experience uh, what both of those terms are referring to and, and uh, what they exactly mean. Well, I suppose the, uh, on the first tee, the honor is just to, the order which you decide you're going to play in. And then from there, you know, you go by um, – you know, when you're out in the fairway, the furthest one out then is, is going to play next. Um, and, you know, you, you play that way all the way into the hole, and then when you get to the next tee, usually the one with the lowest score goes first. And um, in that case, if you have a tie, then, you know, decide who's going to go, depending on the order that you had before. Um, and so that's why, you know, from, from an honor system, the honor system to play, it's, you know, whoever's the furthest one out plays first from the – the tee boxes after you teed off, and then you know the one with the lowest score usually has the honor to, to start off on the next one. Uh, ready golf is just you know without hitting into yourselves, just when you're ready, hit it. Um, I, I think it's a yeah, uh, it, it's a new way that's come along. Um, you know, you have to be again respectful of people who are in front of you or the side of you. I, I still think even with ready golf, the one that's the furthest out is going to go usually, so you don't step in front of them. But if you're off to the sides, you know, make sure you're hitting one at a time. And uh, you don't all four have to hit it once, but in ready golf. But um, you know, it's just a matter to, of a way to try to speed it up a little bit. Um, you know, when it's your turn, go. And when you're ready to hit it, hit it. Um, it that reminds me of I used to play with a, a group when I I grew up in at the club in Kansas. They they were all in their 80s, and, and when you got on the green first, you had to be careful because you had five balls coming at you. So they did they did not wait. They all hit at the same time. So. They played ready golf way right. back then. And they said, "Son, you got to get out of the way." You know, when when we're not on the green yet. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's you know the honor system is is you know probably the traditional way to play. Um, you know, you take an order off the first tee to whatever order you want to do it, and then you you stay with that uh, you know the, the furthest person out. And if you get to the next tee, if everybody has the same score, then you you use the same order again. But um, you know, I think it's either way to play is is just as fine. And um, I think you can play in the same amount of time. But, again, I think, you know, the two systems are, are fair enough in themselves. So, Hopefully Yeah, I think, for, I, I think for – no, I think that's perfect. 
for um, I think for more accomplished players, and I don't necessarily mean they have to have extremely low handicaps, but I think for players that have been out in the golf course with a little more experience, I think the honors uh, system is a good one, especially if if uh, you know they're prepared, um, you know, along the way to to you know execute their shot when it when it's their turn. I think ready golf is something for our higher handicap players because a lot of times, um, more often than not, they tend to take a little bit more time uh, getting ready to even hit the shot. So a lot of times I think it's good for them to, to be ready. And when you get up to your ball, let's, let's get going through the process. Let's get the ball hit and not wait um, for somebody else if they're a little further behind. If you're ready to go, go. And I think that's really, in my opinion, where it's more applicable uh, and certainly can be used by either group, but I think for for some of our higher handicappers and less accomplished players, I think I would like to see them play more ready golf because I think it helps speed it up uh, the pace of play. Yeah, uh, and, and putting, yeah. just to add, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. you know, it's not uh, a steadfast rule, but I just think that's one of the do's. I think you know, your more accomplished players, I think, can can kind of stick with the uh, uh, with the regular. And as you pointed out earlier, uh, Pete, the marshals are there to. Uh, to sort of uh, shuffle you around a little quicker yeah. if they are slowing down. Uh, and on the putting surface, the same thing. Uh, you know, uh, furthest from the hole uh, typically is uh, is next uh, to play. If you're playing in a tournament, obviously you're going to do that. If you're just sort of having a, a friendly foursome, again, ready golf for some of your less accomplished players. If you're up there ready to go and the guy that's furthest away hasn't even pulled his putter out of his bag yet, you know, let's keep pace moving in that, especially if, if uh, your group is slowing things up. Um, Another one, Clint, that yeah, Ted, you'd be surprised. Yeah, let me add something to Sorry, that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let me, before you go, is sure. it, we kind of play a combination of the two when we play. Mm-hmm. Whoever gets to the tee box first hits. And then what we mean by ready golf is be ready when it's your turn after that. We always right. have a person that's further from the whole play for safety reasons, but be ready to hit when it's your turn. Uh, so first man to the tee, when you get to your next shot, be ready to hit it when it's your turn. Same thing on the putting green. Be ready to hit it when it's your turn. Mm-hmm. You know, about the time that the guy that just putted gets his ball out of the hole, your ball ought to be rolling to the hole. You know, be ready when yep. it's your turn. So, I'm sorry. Didn't want to interrupt there. Yeah, no, no, that's no, that's a that's a great point. Um, and, and obviously, unless the player uh, that just putted out is directly in your line, um, yeah, and you're, you've got a short putt. Obviously, that's a little bit different. But yeah, I know you, you're that's raising right. a valid point. That's for sure. Um, you know, Clint. One of the other things too is, um, you know, is a lot of folks don't always play the correct ball, and uh, sometimes they've been playing around, and maybe they've hit one in the rough. And and uh, I'm going to give you two questions in this one here. But okay. uh, sometimes they they're hitting the wrong ball, and and talk a little bit about that. And another one, too, going back to the green, is um, nothing worse, especially if you're the group that's been on the green, you're leaving. Uh, sometimes the flag is a little askew, and you can explain a little bit better. You, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, yeah, sure. We want to make sure that we're leaving the green. So let's talk about the ball first. Uh, you know, you've hit a, a shot out in the rough, and you've got ready to hit your second or maybe even third shot. Um, you've got to check to make sure it's your ball. Yeah, I mean, we all that, that, that we played tournament golf, we all know that, you know, you, sh- you should put your own mark on the ball. A Titleist four out there or a Strixon two, there's plenty of those numbers out there. So you, you need to put your own distinguishing mark. You know, in my case, I use a green marker. I put three green dots and a green line on it. 
everybody knows that, mm-hmm. that we play a lot of golf together. Everybody knows that's my ball, you know. Um, and but if you, I think it's almost a twofold question. If I'm not just playing with my group, having a good time, and I find I've hit the wrong ball, I'm not going to go all the way back down the fairway and correct my mistake. Okay, because right. under the rules, once I discover I've hit the wrong ball, I've got to go back and correct my mistake. I've got to go back to where I figured I hit the wrong ball from and start over uh, with penalty. Um, you know, that is just absolutely going to kill the pace of play. It's not necessary. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if um, you know, probably what I would do on a regular basis if I'm playing for a score, this may not be totally kosher by the rules. I'd play my play it out with that ball and add two shots to my score. You know, just to keep mm-hmm. keep moving. You know, now if I'm playing a tournament um, or uh, you know some kind of a, a captain's choice, or you know you're gonna hit the wrong ball then. But if I'm playing in an event, um, I've got to correct my mistake. I've got to go back. Yeah. Find where you know where my ball was at. If I can find my ball, um, then if I can't find my ball, I've got to go back to where I hit that shot from because I got stroke and distance. Unless the tournament is playing the exception to the stroke and distance rule. You know, right. if, if they are, then they can drop a ball equal distance into the fairway and play from there, but still have a penalty for hitting the wrong ball. So. You know, you just have to pay attention, watch your ball, make sure it's yours before you hit it. You know, there's provisions in the rule. If you can't see the numbers, you can pick it up enough to identify the ball, put it back down, and move forward. But I I think if they're just out playing just for the sake of the people behind them, uh, just keep playing, hole out. Uh, If it's your opponent's ball, then both of you hit a wrong ball because you're both up on the green with the wrong ball. You know, so there's no reason to go back and do that all over again. You know, so you got there right. with somebody's golf ball. Just finish the hole, add a couple of shots to your score, and, and go on and pay attention next time. Um, but, again, if you're playing in a scoring event, you've got to play by the rules. You've got to figure it out and move forward from there. Um, and in that particular case, unless you're prohibited from doing it, you know, the committee says you've got to stay in your group and you've got to stay in place, let the group behind you go ahead and play through while you're trying to, you know, filter out the mistake and correct it. Nothing wrong with letting that group play through. Uh, and I find very, yep. very uh, rare cases where the committee would prohibit that. Just let them go ahead, keep the pace going, then you can come in behind it and the pace of play will continue and you'll have an opportunity to correct your mistake. As far as the flag being centered in the hole, I mean, you just have to be careful. Most people are, I think, in general. Put the flag back in, make sure it's all the way down, and it should center itself if the cup setter uh, has done a good job. It just had to make sure it's down in all the way, and it should center. And that that's an appropriate thing to do. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of. Uh, and again, this happens from time to time, and we've all made mistakes. But uh, you know, we we obviously a lot of people will lay the the flag down uh, on the side of the green, or, you know, when when we're putting out, and forget to put it in. And and it might mm-hmm. seem like a very simple. Uh, you know, one of the do's here, but you'd be surprised at how many people you get talking yeah. and you get, you know, everybody's trying to figure out their score and uh, next thing you know, you're walking off and the group behind you, uh, they can't see the pin anymore. Um, and, and again, you know, making sure it's all the way down the hole to make sure it's centered. Um, you know, especially if it's windy and that, if it's not quite centered, it blows around, it blows out, so or blows over, what have you. Um, the other thing, one last thing I want to mention too about uh, uh, something that I see a lot of guys do is is do not drop the flag on the green um, the flag end itself is not likely going to do the damage, but what often will happen 
is the peg that actually goes into the hole sometimes can scuff up the green. So uh, set it down. Uh, some people will actually lay it across the club off to the side of the green, uh, but just be, be cautious because, uh, you know, when you're setting it down and if you're holding the flag, um, not for, uh, you know, uh, at the, at the hole, but you decide you want to just hold it cause you've already put it out. Uh, don't hold it, uh, down on the green surface. I always put it on top of my shoe, uh, just so that it's not into the ground. Cause you know, you'd be surprised at how many people start leaning their weight on the flag. And the next thing you know, it's uh, an eighth of an inch into the green. And now that little yeah. bump's going to maybe affect somebody's putt down the road. So it, it seems very simple, yeah. but you'd be surprised at how many amateurs, especially new beginners. Uh, and we've all seen it come out there and they just don't know some of the proper etiquette uh, while out in the golf course. So those are some of the do's. We're going to flip. Yeah. The Ted, squ- let, me, uh, let me add sorry, one thing to uh, that. You, yep. Yeah. Under, uh, dealing with the flag stick, you know, under the new rules, the best thing to do is just leave it in. Yep. I mean, if you just out playing, just leave the flag stick in. Don't be bothered with it. Because uh, the rules now allow you to leave it in while your ball's on the green. So uh, if you want to solve all of those problems, um, just leave the flag in. Um, and even in today's world, when we're dealing with social distancing and the corona thing, a lot of golf courses are saying, hey, just leave the flag in. Don't take it out, which I, 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 uh, I tend to think is a smart thing to do. But, um, but like I said, the rules allow you to do it now. So if you, if you don't – and the one thing we have in the groups that we play in, whoever holds out first gets the flag. That's the rule. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. if my ball's first in the cup, that means on that hole, my, the flag's my responsibility. And so I get it and put it back in. So, all right, I'm done with that. So. Yep. Thanks. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. It, you know, it, it, it's good, to, you know, because, you'd be, again, you'd be surprised, and especially this year with, with all that's been going on, as we've talked about over the last few shows that we've been on, uh, Clint, is there's a lot of new golfers out there right now. There's a lot of folks that, you know, because of this pandemic have, have really been forced, and it's obviously to our, um, uh, you know, to our blessing, if you will, that they've come out to the golf course because they've uh, been restricted in doing other things. Um, they don't know the rules. They don't know a lot of the etiquette uh, out there in the golf course. So it's important, I think, to share sometimes some of this so that you get a, a general idea of what to do. And, and obviously, you need to look in the rule book, and you know, a lot of things may not always apply to them on a, on a regular basis, but it's good to know the general rules and, more importantly, mm-hmm. just to know some of the general etiquette. So we talked about the do's. We're going to talk about uh, some of the don'ts. And, uh, Pete, the first one here uh, I'll skip over because we've already really talked about that, and, is, and that's walking across the line of another player's putt on the green. Um, you know, it's okay to step over the line if you have to, uh, but ideally it's better to walk around behind the hole uh, away from that person's line and uh, and usually at least several feet away from the hole as well so that you're not marking up for somebody else. But uh, another one too is, uh, Pete, is holding, other, holding up other players. Uh, this is one too a lot of people don't know, understand sort of the... Uh, the the rule of play, if you will, if you're playing behind, uh, somebody's playing right behind you, and there's nobody in front or, uh, front of you, uh, and maybe you're a little bit slower, uh, we want to let them play through. Maybe you can touch on a little bit why that uh, is a good idea. Well, that's just kind of you know drastically help with the pace of play. I mean, as we talked about before, you want to keep pace with the group in front of you, and if you're losing that that gapping. And then somebody's you know right on right behind you. Then yeah, by all means, just let them play through, and that'll at least allow then uh, you know another group to catch up, 
and, and get a little bit of pace going, but that should also be a sign to you that, you know, you need to speed up. Um, you know, if you're, if you're more than a hole behind the group in front of you, then you need to pick up pace. But yeah, definitely if a group is pushing behind you, just, um, you know, you've got a gap, let, let them go through. And that's just a, you know, a simple, simple way to try to keep the pace and, and try to keep the peace. <laughs> I should say, because sometimes people will get a little upset if they're behind you and, you know, they're getting slowed down. So well, it's, it's not bad to just move away and let them go. Um, but no, I mean that's just a that's just a general rule. If you're falling behind and, and you've got a group that's right on your tail, let them go. Um, you know, and they they can get into that gap and, and maybe close the gap, and then you can, you know, pick up a little bit behind them and then try to keep up with it. But um, you know, the other thing too, you know, from from a general standpoint, especially for your new players, if that's happening to you a lot, then you know you've got to you've got to start to understand you know how to make your play faster, how to get yourself more ready. And, and how to be, as Clint said before, make sure you're ready when it's your turn. I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing, I think, that slows down golf more than anything else. People just aren't ready when it's their turn to play. And so I think from a just from a common standpoint of slowing other, you know, slowing the whole thing down, um, you know, when you get up there and there's four balls out there, and, and typically we're talking about, you know, semi-ready golf, I mean, you know, get yourself prepared to play. And, and I think, you know, the carts have – can help in speed of play if, if you're looking down the fairway while you're driving and get an idea of what, what's coming up. You know, look at what's in front of you, get yourself prepared, and as you're getting out of the cart, you know, they got devices now that can give you the yardage, so that's no longer an issue. Um, you can pretty much figure that out. But, I, you know, just, just try to get yourself prepared mm-hmm. as if, you know, I've, I've got to go here in the next minute, so i got to get ready. Um, you know, get yourself, get your club, get it set. And, and get it going, you know, just be ready to play. And I think you can still have time to talk and chat and, and do all those other things. But, you know, there comes a time when it's, when it's your turn to play and, and, uh, you know, you got to get ready and go. So I think that can also help avoid, you know, slowing other people up and slowing groups up. But again, you know, if they're pushing you, yep. there's a gap, let them go through. Yeah. Especially if you're, if you're a foursome and you've got a few players in your foursome that are not uh, very accomplished players, maybe they're struggling and especially, and I've seen this uh, happen many times, I wish they wouldn't do this, but, you know, you get a group that comes on, it's a twosome, and they're moving pretty quick pace, they're coming in behind you, let them go through for sure, because there's no way you're going to be able to keep pace uh, with these guys here. When you've only got two guys behind you, let them play through, uh, and, and uh, you know, you'll have it pretty open. Yeah, you'll have it pretty open. Clint, uh, I think this is a good one for you. Uh, a definite don't is uh, throwing your clubs. Uh, it not only uh, can be expensive I'm not if they happen to, to break. Ask that question. <laughs> but uh, you uh, asked the wrong person. Uh, well, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I quit throwing you know, clubs a long time hit, ago. <laughs> yeah, we all hit. Yeah, well, we all hit bad shots, and uh, it you know it doesn't look good when when people when folks see us uh, throwing a club or or thumping a club down, it, it uh, you know, it has a tendency to break or bend the shaft or what have you. Yes. Um, but uh, you want to share a little with that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take that one. We have, we have all, we have all uh, let our equipment slip out of our hands on certain occasions and out of frustration or whatever. It's dangerous to do, you know, because there's other people out there, and if the club breaks, you know, people are injured every 
every year with clubs breaking around tree roots and balls coming back at them. Yep. You know, so it it, it is. Uh, like I said we all we all kind of chuckle about it because we've all done it. Uh, so we can't be angels mm-hmm. about this, but it it is something that that um, you, you should try your best to, to maintain your cool. Even though that shot was the third one, you've hit the same way all day. You just finally had enough, and uh, <laughs> just take it back over and put it in the bag, and and then go kick a tree or something. You know, the only person you're gonna hurt is yourself there, because you can you can hurt somebody by the club, you know, bouncing or. You, you throw it, and, and you're really not intending to throw it that way, but your playing partner's right there behind you, and before you realize it, you've tried to throw it back at the golf cart, and you threw it right at their head. Um, so it, it is a safety issue, but we've, like I said, it's a, it's sometimes a little complicated, but uh, it is best just to keep you cool, you know, um, and put it back in the bag, and you know, then go bang your head against a tree or something, and and uh, start over, get it out of your system, you know. Um, But it it really, truly, as we we kind of chuckle and laugh about it, it is a purely safety thing. Keep your clubs in your hand um, and do the best you can. And every day we play or every other day we play, somebody will flip their club back towards the cart, you know, and all of a sudden it it hits wrong and now you've got a $30 reshaft bill. You know, so I, right. <laughs> uh, that's when I, that, 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 that's when I stopped breaking them. It's when my dad told me I had to start paying to fix them and I stopped breaking them, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. And like I said, we, we've all done it and, but it, it's best to try to try to maintain some composure and save your equipment, save the injury bill, uh, put it back in the bag and just do the best you can on the next one. It, you know, golf is an unusual sport to where, if you're just out playing on a daily basis, we get a chance to start at zero again the next day. Mm-hmm. Every day you step up on the first tee, you, your score is zero, no matter how bad you've played the day before. You know, so just get through that round, and you, you can go in and relax and start over the next day and just try to, do, try to do the best you can that day too. So, But it is difficult, but it's a pure safety thing. People need to be conscious of that. Yeah, it, it, first and foremost, definitely uh, a safety issue. But it's also, too, you know, um, we all need to sometimes dispel that, that negative energy that we've just incurred from a bad shot or maybe yeah. a couple of bad mm-hmm. holes. And, um, you know, there's better ways to do it. Um, you know, sometimes you just kind of need to let that frustration out. But uh, throwing or, or slamming down your club is not the way to do it. Um, I always, you know, when I have a, a bad hole or, or a bad uh, shot, uh, especially, you know, if uh, this day and age when you're most courses, you're, you're taking a cart, uh, unless I'm by myself on the cart, I'll let my playing partner drive and I'll walk to, the, to my, my ball. Yeah, just walk that it off. way, then I kind of let off. off a little bit. Yeah, walk it off. Let, you know, by the time I get up there, I'm, I'm laughing about it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's a lot less expensive, as you say, with reshafting bill, uh, less dangerous. But, um you know, it, it, you need to get that that negative energy out for sure, but there's better ways to do it. Um, I'm going to just quickly mention this, and then we'll we'll move on to another one here, so we can keep uh, the pay, speaking of pace of play, uh, we'll keep the show going. But uh, uh, walking, up, don't walk off the green before everybody has finished putting. Uh, always a good idea to let everyone finish before heading to the next hole uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, it can be distracting. Um, you know, especially if you're beside somebody and they're getting ready to putt. And you start walking off the green, and 
uh, you know, you're making noise. You've got maybe a couple of clubs in your hand. You've got your putter and a wedge maybe used to, to, to pitch or chip up, and they're clanking and you're walking off. And the other thing is it's kind of rude. Uh, your group's still on the green. They're putting out. Um, you need to stay around there and, and uh, you know, uh, a little camaraderie, if you will. But um, So walking off the green before everybody has finished uh, is, is not a good idea um, unless you're really falling behind. Uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, Pete, leaving your shadow over someone's ball when they're hitting can be, um, can be distracting, to say the least. Um, give us some of the, yes, the scoop on that one. Uh, you know, again, being being aware of your surroundings, um, you know it's it's uh, it's kind of ironic because the range I'm at in the afternoons, I you know I have to watch myself because I'll have my shadow right right where they're trying to hit all the time. So I've got to watch where I'm standing as the sun's setting behind us. But yeah, you just got to be aware of, of what's going on. I, again, is if you're if you're paying attention to you know anything that's out in front of you, you'll see your shadow and you can see if it's uh, in somebody's way. So, you know, be aware, stand to the side, or squat down, make your shadow smaller, do whatever you got to do to get it out of somebody's way. Um, but, yeah, it definitely can be a, a, a distraction to a lot of people, and, you know, a lot of people like to have everything as clean as possible. So if your shadow's in the way, they're, they're not going to be very happy. So just, just be aware of where you're standing. Um, you know, you can be even from a side view or from the back. So, you know, just pay attention to what's going on, and, and uh, you can avoid that one pretty easy. Well, and, and, you know, just to add to that, if you've, if you've, you know, putt on a green that has shadows, we know how difficult that can be sometimes because you don't always see sure. the, the various undulations of the green. So the same thing can happen if you're, uh, you know, if you're standing and casting a shadow, it's not only a distraction, but depending on the angle of your shadow, it can sometimes throw off their, their vision of, of how the hole is going to, uh, or how the putt is going to be played. Uh, or can certainly change their their view. So you know, it, it, again, it goes to, to courtesy, uh, being respectful, and, and kind of staying out of uh, their lane. Uh, same thing as we we mentioned earlier, standing behind someone while they're hitting. Uh, definitely not a you know you want to be out of their line of vision. There's nothing more distracting, especially if the person happens to be a fidgety person, and you know you're getting ready to hit your shot or you're getting ready to to putt out or something, and right in your line of sight is somebody and they're kind of wiggling their feet and, you know, moving their arms and, and whatnot. Uh, it can be very, very distracting and kind of throws you off. Um, Clint, uh, I'm sure you haven't done this one, um, but we know <laughs> yeah, there's okay. a lot of folks that do that this day. And, yeah, this day and age, technology uh, can be a wonderful thing, but there's nothing more aggravating than uh, somebody that's using their cell phone uh, on the golf course. Um, Good idea, bad idea, or what? Well, you know, now I'm I'm taking my phone with me, but we all basically have a an understanding. Mute the thing, you know. Turn the sound off, you know. If um, you know, because we're we've all got things going on, lessons, people asking, you know, signing up for lessons here and there. So you can't be. You know, we're maybe a little, everybody's got you know the phone now. If you don't have your phone, you feel like you're lost. Um, so just put it on silent or mute. Vibrates fine. Just where it's not going to play the national anthem right in the back of somebody's backswing so somebody calls you. And <laughs> you know, um, but and it's okay. But have it there. It's like I, the way I do it. I try to put it on mute most of the time. I, I remember. Sometimes I forget. 
Uh, and then if if I'm not interested about every, you know, couple of holes, I'll flip it over and see if somebody called me or left a message or, sure. or whatever. And, and then at least I can see who it was, and it's not an emergency. Okay? Right. Uh, then I'll, whenever we get done, I'll I'll do my calls and make sure we're all all lined up for whatever they want to do. But I, I think that, that people are just going to have their phones. They're not going to leave them behind unless it's a club rule that we talked about earlier. If the mm-hmm. club says no cell phones past the first tee, then, you know, you, you better adhere to that rule. And some private clubs and some public courses have those rules. Now, the courses we play do not. So you just have to be mindful. Again, this comes back to that courtesy to the people you're playing with. You know, be mindful that, that mm-hmm. when it when that ringtone sets off, it, it's not it, – it's, it's, not discriminatory. I mean, it just go. It just starts, you know, and it doesn't matter whether somebody's trying to putt or hit a drive or a second shot or whatever. So put it on mute, put it up in the little cubby of the cart or wherever you want to put it. Put it in your bag, and just be mindful that that it's on silent and then everybody's fine. That's all you have to do. Make sure it's on silent. Yeah, and and check it every now and then. That's all. Yeah, it, this day and age, it's it's hard not to have it there. If you're, you know, if if you happen to have one of those uh, wonderful apps that are available now to uh, help you uh, with your shots, sometimes they'll have GPS on it. Uh, some of the programs mm-hmm. um, that have an app which can be very useful on the on the golf course. There's nothing wrong with using that um, when it's not your turn to hit. But maybe you can get the yardage ahead of time, get the information, the stats that you need um, uh, in preparation. But uh, if you're not using uh, one of those apps, uh, then, you know, as you pointed out, Clint, I think you need to, you know, mute or put it on vibrate. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with checking it. And if, if, if there is an emergency going on, uh, maybe, you know, a sick loved one or somebody that you're trying to keep tabs on, uh, nothing wrong with checking your phone periodically. But again, like you said, there's nothing worse when somebody's uh, standing over putt or about ready to hit their ball and, you know, some, you know, loud uh, ringtone or something starts blaring in the background. Uh, it's just not, uh, it's just not kosher. Um, Pete, another right. one is, is um, you know, how much time should we be looking for a lost ball? That uh, kind of goes to what we talked about earlier. You hit an errant shot and it ends up in the rough or in the sticks or worse. Um, rules have changed a little bit, but uh, typically the rules allow up to five minutes to look for a missing ball, but um I think really that's a little bit too much for amateurs. For professionals, it's different. There's more money on the line. Uh, but for amateurs, I don't think five minutes uh, is, is necessary. I think if you aren't able to find it even within three minutes, I think you, I think you need to, to you know uh, play a provisional or, uh, or, uh, or move on or, or what have you. What do you think? Oh, I agree with that. You know, um, I, I think sometimes in some of the groups I've played in, I, I would just assume, well, here, here's – Here's some money for another ball. We don't need to look for three hours. Let's go. We've been here long enough. Um, it's I get it because they want to find the ball, but you know I, I think for pace of play, um, you know look for it for a few minutes. If you haven't found it, let's let's move on. And I think you know to what Clint said earlier. I think you know I, I'd I'd love to see it to where you know in those situations if if you have a lost one, you don't have to go back to the tee. You know just just put another one down and play. And, and you know I think if I could get you know, that stroke and distance thing taken out, I think it would be especially helpful for play. I know in the tournament play that you have to do that. But, yeah, I, to, to speed it up, if, if you've looked for three minutes and haven't found it, you know, let's let's move on. Let's go. That's plenty of time. So, yeah, yeah. you hit it there. So yeah. you yeah. gotta you got to 
deal uh, with the consequences. So. Yeah, I agree. And and if you're not a, a very good player, and I know we all we all hit bad shots, but if you're not a real good player, don't be don't be teeing off with Pro V ones or some of the other uh, higher end golf balls that are you know that are five six dollars a shot um, because that's you know and, and the other thing too is just real quick, Pete is you know you get a lot of uh, groups where somebody hits an errant tee shot and you've got all four over there looking for the ball instead of, again, going back to that ready golf. Instead of the other guys, you know, your, your partner in the cart, that's one thing you and he can kind of look about, but you don't need all four over there. The other guys should be moving up and, and, and getting themselves uh, in, in position to, uh, to, you know, to do what they need to do. And again, you know, put a ball down again. I, I agree. I think the, the stroke and distance rule, I think needs to be changed for amateur golf anyways. Um, yes. yes I agree. And, and, and Clint, um, Back to you here. This is this is one that uh, again um, is a don't, and that's showing up late. Uh, you know, you got a tee time for a reason. A um, lot of things happening here, but um, generally speaking, I mean, I, I know we're all conscious of time. You know, our time is is very valuable, a lot more than uh, you know maybe it might have seemed to to those in the past. But uh, we've got a lot more going in our lives right now. Um, you know, we got a, a one o'clock tea time. What what time should we be showing up, and and why should we? You know, why uh, why do we need to get there a little bit earlier, or or do we? Oh yeah, I mean, here's the thing that I, I think it, it's incumbent upon the golf operators. It's just like your stroke and distance issue. Unless it's a, a a tournament, we 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 use the exception to the stroke and distance rule daily. To keep play moving. I mean, you can you can put that on, on your local uh, hard card. Says, hey, stroke and distance. We're playing the exception. If it's out of bounds or lost ball, you take it at equal distance to where you last crossed the margin at the fairway and play. Um, that that's something that golf operators should insist on being the case in daily play. Then in tournament golf, they can decide what to do. Um, we also incumbent upon the golf operator to educate people that a tee time means when you're on the tee, ready to play. Mm-hmm. That's the tee time. That's not the, that, that term is not this is your show-up time. It's not the when you come pay mm-hmm. your green fee time. It's when you're on the tee time. And so we encourage you to say, look, try to get here 10 or 15 minutes ahead of your tee time. That will give you a chance to pay your fees. If you're paying a daily fee, get your clubs on the cart and get down to the tee ready to play. When it's your, at, if your tee time's ten o'clock, you should have your ball teed up at ten o'clock, ready to hit it. As long as the group in front of you is out of the way. Now we all know sometimes tee times run a little bit late, so you just have to to be there ready to play. And how early you get there is individual. We have some people. We have a couple of guys that play in the men's group on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They'll get there an hour ahead where they can sit and relax and drink a cup of coffee and go hit a few range balls, get ready to play. Then we get other people that, that, that show up two minutes before they're supposed to play and they got their clubs on the cart and here we go. So that, that how much earlier you get there is kind of individual, but I think it's incumbent upon us golf operators to educate people when they call to get a tee time that if is try to say, make sure you're here a little early because that is your tee time, not your show-up time. And you have to be careful not to yep. come across kind of cocky with that, you know. But it, it's just something people need to recognize that if you got a 10 o'clock tee time, there's somebody there that's supposed to be at 10.08, somebody 9.52. So you need to be ready to play at 10 o'clock. That's our biggest trouble with golf operators. Yeah. 
them show up right on their tee time, and then you got to flip them over. You get the next group go ahead. They get there a little ahead. Everything runs real smooth. Yeah, and, and and again, again, it's an individual thing. I agree. I mean, I like to see people. You know, depending on their level of play, I mean, they don't necessarily have to be there two hours early unless they, you know, they're bored. No. They got nothing to do, and they want to sit around and and uh, maybe get a bite to eat and just relax and and kind of enjoy the the ambiance of of their surroundings. But uh, you know, I I like to, for most golfers, I like to see them get there about you know uh, twenty five to thirty minutes before their tee time. And the reason being is mm-hmm. a so they can check in as you suggest, get their stuff ready. Um, and maybe get out on the on the putting green, the practice green, and you know uh, work on their, their 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 putting a little bit just to kind of get the the pace of the the greens that particular day. And if they've got time, you know again hit a few range balls just to kind of warm up and, and loosen up and that sort of thing. Um, you know nothing fancy, but just to just to kind of warm up, do some stretches and and just hit a few balls just to to kind of see what they're going to be playing with that day. But again, it depends. If, you know, if you're somebody that plays a, regularly, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to add that I truly believe that the vast majority of the people that play our sport do exactly what you just said. The vast majority yep. do. Every now and then you get one that just shows up late or something. They didn't know him better. But I, I do believe the majority of people do exactly what you just described. I really do. Yeah, I think that I think most of the guys, at least from my experience, that seem to, and I don't know what it, if it goes with the car or not, but uh, you know, when I used to play a lot of the courses back home, it always seems to be the guy driving the Porsche that showed two minutes before his <laughs> yeah. tea time, and I think he just figured I can yeah. I can speed up, and so you know, yeah. <laughs> it was always the guy that had the fast car that showed up two minutes before. You know, yeah, exactly. But uh, but anyways, mm-hmm. uh, so these these are, are are some good do's and don'ts. I think they're very general, very generic. I realize, um, but you'd be surprised at, at how many um, you know professionals get asked these questions, especially with new new players coming in to the mix now uh, with everything going on with COVID and so forth. Um, again, there's flexibility with some of them, depending on the, the course that you're playing at. And as I said in the beginning, what I always recommend people doing, especially uh, if you're playing a new course that you've never played before, whether it's a resort or maybe you're uh, playing with a, a friend who's invited you to his club, it's always a good idea to, you know, uh, assuming your, your friend is, is somewhat knowledgeable uh, ask them, you know, are there any local rules? What are some of the rules here that I need to know? Or at the very least, um, go into the pro shop and, and ask, uh, you know, them behind the counter uh, if there's any, you know, local rules or anything specific um, that they need to be uh, adhered to. And if you're somebody that doesn't play uh, or hasn't played a lot of golf, um, obviously, you know, we want you to, to uh, get connected with your local golf professional and uh, and hopefully he or she will will help you with some good quality sound lessons. Uh, but don't be afraid. Usually the, the you'll find the pro in the pro shop or somewhere nearby. And um, you know don't be afraid to ask questions. If you show up there and you're not sure what to do, ask somebody there that's uh, on staff, and they'll be more than happy to point you in the right direction. But guys, as always, uh, great job uh, with tonight's discussion. And uh, I'm going to give each of you, and I uh, will go in a different order this time. Pete, you go first, and then Clint. Uh, just let the folks know if they want to reach out to you and and uh, and uh, get in touch, uh, or maybe just want to communicate uh, with you for some reason. What's the best way to do that? Well, again, thanks, Ted, for having me on. Clint's always great to be on with you. I always always enjoy it. Learn a bunch of stuff when you're always on. Um, they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. The plain is P-L-A-N-E. All my contact information is out there, so you can. 
go to one spot and hit it and, and uh, find out everything you need to find out. So if you have any questions or you just want to start a conversation, reach out and uh, we'll go from there. Perfect. Thank you, uh, as always, Pete. Um, Clint, best way folks can reach you? Uh, easy enough. It's Clint Goff at 001 at yahoo.com. But very quickly, I want to relay a story for you, Ted, is that about two weeks ago, <laughs> I get a phone call from a young man in Thompson, Eau Claire, matter of fact, where I was at years ago. And he was a young man had worked for me as a cart boy when he was about 15. And he was he listens to your show. He's 52 now. Uh, what? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I want to give you credit cart guys, you know, but it was, it was there. he said, yeah, I asked him, I said, man, how'd you find me? And he said, well, I listened to that golf talk show. I can't remember. I said, oh, okay. And uh, his brother listens to it apparently. And so I just want to let you know, I appreciate you hooking me back up with some of those people, but anybody wants to get a hold of me, it's just uh, Clint Goff at 001 at yahoo.com. Be more happy to carry on a conversation with me. Pete, it's always enjoyable and pleasurable uh, to be on with you. And Ted, thanks for having us. Um, just very quickly, Clinton, I apologize. It, it, it cut for just no a second. What was the gentleman's name? Uh, his name was um, uh, Johnson. Uh, his last name was Johnson. His first name was Steve Johnson. And uh, his dad was a dentist, no player, and he actually ended up being a dentist. So it's kind of cool. We had a great conversation, talked about old times a little bit. But I want to let you know that the show's out there. People are listening, and it, and it helped us reconnect up for, gosh, 30, 40 years, something like that, 30 years. So it's kind of well, cool. We enjoy it. Very good. Yeah. Well, Steve, if you're listening, uh, welcome to Golf Talk Live, and thank you for, for being a, a, a loyal follower and listener to the program. And uh, I was glad that the show was able to help you connect with uh, your old buddy Clint here, and, and uh, hopefully you guys will get together uh, over a refreshment one of these days. But as always, guys, uh, Pete, Clint, thank you very much uh, for doing it. Thanks, yeah, for doing a great job here on, on the good. Coach's Corner panel, and I'll see you guys next time. Have a great weekend. Yeah, right, good Thanks, night. Ted. Uh, All right, you too. Thanks. All right, that was uh, two great guys. Uh, been on the, the, the Coach's Corner panel for uh, quite a few years now. We've been doing it for uh, about eight years, uh, Pete Buchanan and Clint Wright, and uh, always enjoy having these guys on. We always have a good uh, laugh or two. So, uh, let me uh, introduce uh, this evening's special guest. Uh, she was actually on the Women of Golf show with uh, both myself and my co-host, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, uh, this past Tuesday, in case you uh, didn't happen to uh, hear that uh, yet. Um, I will tell you at the end of the show how you can go and do that. Um, but I brought her back tonight to spend some time with me, a little bit more time, and we're going to get a little bit more in-depth to uh, her uh, not only teaching career, but uh, her playing career a little bit as well. And, of course, I'm talking about my very special guest, Kathy Kim, uh, she's both a PGA and LPGA teacher professional, and uh, she enjoys helping golfers of all skill levels to achieve both their personal and professional goals. Uh, she assesses the golfer's physical abilities, uh, listens to the player's goals, and tailors a game plan that best fits that particular player, because we all are different, of course. Uh, before starting a teaching career, uh, she played collegiate golf, um, and uh, attempted uh, on the road to the LPGA. We'll talk to her a little bit about that. Uh, she's taught at TPC Summerlin in Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, for five years before uh, calling 1757 Golf Club her home. Uh, one of her personal missions is to diversify the game and make it an equal access sport for everyone to enjoy, and I couldn't agree more. 
and she believes that golf can be used as a great business tool for professionals to help further their career as well. So lots of great things to talk about. Let me welcome to my audience this evening my very special guest, Kathy Kim. Good Hi, evening, Kathy. Ted. Welcome. Good evening. Thank you How so are much you? for having me on. I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm doing fantastic, and thank you uh, very, very much for, for coming back uh, again and, and speaking with me tonight. Uh, we'll have a little bit more time, so we'll have uh, some a lot of great things to talk about. And just a couple of other things I want to point out before we get started. Uh, Kathy is also a TPI fitness professional. Uh, she's also a U.S. Kids Golf Certified Instructor. And uh, in 2018, she received the U.S. Kids Top 50 Teacher Award recognition. And uh, as owner and publisher of Golf Tips Magazine, uh, this year I'm making her one of the top 25 instructors. So welcome aboard uh, to Golf Tips Magazine. And so many, many other uh, accomplishments, and we could talk about those as well. But I, I want to... Again, I know we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday when you were here with Cindy and I, uh, but just uh, for those that maybe haven't heard that yet, let's just go back a little bit and maybe just tell the folks how you got drawn to golf, how you got started, who got uh, you started um, before you got to where you are now. Yeah, so, um, well, my, my dad was the first golfer in our family, and uh, during that time, I was probably, I want to say I was like maybe 10, 10 or 11 years old. And uh, they put me into a PGA professional run summer camp, mainly as a means of babysitting because <laughs> my parents own a business together. Huh. Um, so there was really, it was either sitting at home with grandma or you're going to go to golf camp. So ended up going to golf camp, um, a PGA professional by the name of Dave John um, in Northern California. He he was the one that offered me free golf lessons and I'm not really sure what he saw in my golf swing or, uh, you know, have no idea. Maybe he was doing it for everybody, <laughs> but um, he offered <laughs> me free golf lessons and that's how I started my uh, junior career. And after that, it was tournament after tournament after tournament. Um, there was really no opportunity to play fun golf. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm Korean, I'm Korean American and growing up in a first generation Korean family, um, things were pretty strict. And because of that, there was really no fun golf. <laughs> it was all, right. it was competition all the time. So, um, did that. Then I, uh, ended up moving up to the Seattle area when I was in high school, um, was lucky enough to get onto Western Washington university's golf team. And um, did the four years there. Then after that, just kind of a natural path to try to get onto the tour. Uh, attempted key school a couple times, did a couple Cactus Tour events, did some state, o- state opens. Um, and yeah, and then in the meanwhile, I was working at a golf club uh, out there. I started at Newcastle Golf Club, and then I moved to Sahali Country Club. Uh, before I went to TPC Summerlin. So that's kind of my timeline <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> Very good. So let's go back to junior golf, um, where things really kind of began. You had an opportunity to get some, as you said, some free lessons to get introduced to the game and, and uh, well, well, getting babysat at the same time. So that was obviously yeah. <laughs> uh, a benefit to not only you and, and your parents, of course, 
Um, but you obviously got introduced to junior golf. How was that for you? Um, how old were you when you first started playing in some junior golf tournaments? Um, and what was some of your experience based on your exposure? Did you feel uh, a lot of pressure at, at a very young age to to get out there and you know kick butt, as they say, or were you confused about what was going on, or, or what was your experience uh, playing in some of the junior golf events? Yeah, so uh, I, I entered my first golf tournament really shortly after I had started golfing, and it was just at the same golf course that the summer camps were at. Um, and I didn't even know what a good score was when I played my first golf tournament. I think I ended up shooting somewhere in the 90s for 18 holes. And, and, you know, looking back on it now, I was like, wow, that was a pretty decent score for a first tournament. Probably why my mm-hmm. dad kept pushing me to keep going. Um, but the, <laughs> as far as the pressure went, it was, um, I think it was, the pressure was happening mainly because my parents started to see what I was good at and what I wasn't so good at. And at that time, uh, I was also on the swim team, and I also was learning how to play piano. So I had three things going on at the same time, and golf kind of just started to take over, so to speak, because you and I both know it takes a lot of time and commitment Mm -hmm. to improve. And it seemed like um, golf was the one sport out of the three things that I was doing that I was improving the fastest with, so we ended up just kind of folding the other two things and I started playing in more and more junior events. And naturally I think the pressure just started kind of stacking on because my parents were, yeah, it was, it was during the Sari Pak boom (laughs) when she won the U S open. Right. So it was around that time where, you know, Oh my gosh, she's Korean. You're Korean. Let's get this going and get you on a tour. Um, and I didn't quite understand that. I wasn't uh, somebody that was super passionate about um, golf and winning at the time. So I didn't quite know why my parents were trying to push me so hard to do something like that. And then with the other kids around, you know, there's always somebody that's better than you. And then the comparisons mm-hmm. start to happen. And once again, I was like, you know, I, I don't know why you guys are freaking out about this. <laughs> Let me right. just go have fun and hang out. Um, so that was basically how I learned how to play golf was just always in a competitive setting. Um, and that, I, it, and this is going to sound really funny, I didn't start to learn to actually enjoy the game recreationally until probably about four or five years ago. And which mm-hmm. – uh, it's just crazy because, you know, there's no more competition involved when I'm playing with members or if I'm playing with friends, but I just didn't know how to get out of that mindset. So it, it, it definitely took a a long time for me to start letting go and start changing the priorities when I play golf. And once I did that, I had so much more fun and I ended up, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I got better. (laughs) My scores improved because I, I wasn't, weighing each stroke so heavily uh with pressure on myself so so yeah (laughs) kind of a kind of a tough tough way to grow up with golf i think (laughs) well you know the reason why i ask you that is 
you know, Kathy, is because uh, there's a lot of young kids, and I think it's important to, to get this message out there. And, and, and I'm not saying this, you know, all due respect to your parents and that. I think it's understandable. I think, you know, our, our parents want us to succeed uh, at whatever it is we do. And, you know, when they see you kind of grappling to something, whether it's, you know, piano, whether it's golf or what have you, um, they get kind of excited. They get overzealous and they say, well, we, you know, if, if you just do this, you're going to do that. One of the uh, the problems that we see in a lot of junior golf, and there's a lot of, you know, big golf centers and, and, and programs around the country that fall into this category. And a lot of kids feel that very same pressure that you talked about, where, uh, you know, they, what we used to call, uh, you know, the, the soccer mom or, or uh, you know, the sideline coach. And you're out there trying to, you know, just put things together and they're over, come on, you know, do this. And a lot of times it creates a lot of anxiety for the child. So I think for junior golf, I I agree with something that you said. Um, First and foremost, I think we need to ensure that our junior golfers out there uh, have fun. Because I think when they're not having fun and they feel there's, you know, they've got their coach pressuring them to perform, they've got parents pressuring them, and then they've got the anxiety of playing against other players who quite understandably in many cases might be better than they are, um, suddenly that, that wind sort of comes out of their sails. So I think it's important um, to first and foremost, let's get out there and let's let them have some fun first and see where their talents take them. And if they show that they've got some talent, then you know we work with them to nurture and develop that. But there's, I think, no greater way to squash or kill the dreams of a young child if you put too much uh, pressure on them, especially too early before they're able to to really handle that pressure, because they're just going out there having fun. They're not there. They don't. You know, they're not really thinking about winning as much. Um, they're just out there to have a good time. What do you think? Yeah, I I totally agree. And looking back on it from a teacher standpoint now, you know, my parents just wanted mm-hmm. the best for me, and that's what every set of parents sure. want for their child. I think it's just a it's just the communication that needs to be clear. And the way that um, your child receives the information that you give to them. Because parents mean well, yep. but that doesn't necessarily mean that the communication is quite there. So um, no. <laughs> looking back on it, I definitely can understand where my parents were coming from. And, and I'm sure they were able to see uh, the future a little bit farther away than me, right, at that age. Um, sure. But now working with junior players and I mean, I work with kids that have just started golf to kids that are well, well within, you know, six, seven years into the sport. And they're, they're deep into the competitive, um, into their competitive schedule. So uh, it's really interesting because parents will come to me and they'll ask me, hey, what's the best way for us to support our junior? And um, I tell them every time, I'm like, listen, they've got to love it. If they don't love it, Mm -hmm. then they're going to feel like you're pushing them into doing something. And I've talked to multiple LPGA Tour players who, you know, and I'll ask them, I'll be like, well, why? Why golf? And um, what makes you grind every single day to do this? Not one person has um, said to me, well, you know, it's just because. Every single girl, every single woman has said, I love golf. I truly, truly yep. love the sport, and this is why I do it every day. 
So um, yeah. as far as from the parental standpoint, you know, if there was any kind of advice that I could give as a golf coach, it would be to make sure that you're on the same page as your junior and really come up with a game plan together that involves not only golf, but time away from golf. You know, take the clubs away from mm-hmm. your kid for two weeks and see what happens. If they're begging you to get their clubs back, then there's your answer. <laughs> if they're not, yep. then you right, know, right. there's your answer. <laughs> so, um, right. yeah, that's, that's yeah. the advice that I could give to a parent is just figure out whether your kid actually loves yeah. it or not. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and just to add to that, you know, um, Cindy and I, of course, um, host the Women of Golf show. And, you know, we've mentioned to you that, you know, we we interview a lot of the young and up-and-coming golfers on the Symmetra Tour, which, of course, feeds into the LPGA. And interesting enough, and I've, I've mentioned this several times on, on both of the programs, but quite often many of these young ladies who had never won before um, felt that very same pressure, whether it was – uh, external from family or coaches or or just on themselves, um, just had a really tough time putting you know a couple of good rounds together in order to to get into the winner's circle. But the moment that they sort of took a step back and said, you know what, I'm just going to go out this week and have fun and just you know whatever happens happens, you know, case sarah sarah whatever. Um, it was amazing how many of these young ladies um, told us that the very next week they won the tournament. So it, it goes to what you said. A lot of times, you, you know, they love it. They're there because they love it. And just let them go. And, you know, if, if they want to, if they want it bad enough, they're going to put the time and effort in and they're going to be smart enough to say, okay, I need help. Um, I'm just, things are not happening. That's when they're going to turn to their coach. And, but if you as a parent are there as a supporting uh, role and not as, you know, an overbearing and overdominating uh, force, um, then they're more than likely going to continue on. And at some point, if they decide, yeah, it's not for me, then so be it. At least they've given it a good shot. But if they're getting out, like you said, if you take their clubs away and they're not running to the, you know, find where you've hidden them, uh, then there's a good chance that maybe they don't enjoy this, the game. Um, and hopefully, maybe they'll take it up later in life and uh, as a more of a recreational thing. But it, again, each to their own. And I think. Um, that's some great advice that, that you gave uh, to parents is that you need to, to really come t- together a game plan that includes the child's decision, uh, not just the, you know, the parents. Um, you went on to play a little collegiate golf, uh, a little bit different because you know typically golf, uh, it's an individual sport, but collegiate golf, of course, you're now part of a team. Um, was that something, yeah. cause, and, and the reason why I say this is a lot of top players, Tiger Woods, uh, many of the other top players, on both the men's and even some on the ladies tour don't play well in a team format. Um, for some yeah, reason, yeah. you know, you look at the right, right. Were you like that as well? Did you find in that co- sort of collegiate format that it was not a good fit for you or was it the opposite? Um, it, for me, because I didn't grow up playing a team sport to begin with, uh, it was a really, really tough transition. And, um, and I'm sure if you went back and talked to my teammates at the time, I was, I, they probably would tell you I was a pretty difficult teammate. <laughs> so, we, you know, I played at a Division II school. We were the top ten in the country as, as far as Division II golf teams went. But we didn't have a lot of right. teams nearby Washington State. So we were traveling out of state every two weeks. And we were traveling fall and the spring. 
And that took a toll. I mean, I just wanted to be a normal college student (laughs) and having to fly out every other week to go golfing, um, to play in tournaments was amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was an amazing experience. I got to see so many different places, but um, as far as the team atmosphere went, it was really difficult for me, but it, it taught me that I need to learn how to be accommodating and empathetic right towards other people. (laughs) So in a sense, it it has really helped me with my, my teaching career on learning how to kind of manage and be around different personalities. Cause could you imagine like you're traveling with five, six uh, women, young women who are 18, 19, 20, 21. (laughs) And then you have your coach, right? So to be able to uh-huh. just go on these three or four day trips at a time um, when probably you're stressed out from school and the last thing you want to do is be cooped up in a, you know, a 12 passenger van. <laughs> um, it, it, it's just, uh, it was definitely a different experience. And I totally understand that some of these top players just didn't do well, didn't play well because it is different. I mean, ultimately golf, golf when you're actually out there playing is it is you it's just you and the golf course but Mm -hmm. so everything before that and then everything after that doesn't match up to the actual golf if you know what I'm saying like just the team atmosphere before and after doesn't really match up so yep totally in agreement about about team golf (laughs) well it, it is it's a different experience because you have you have some players who are very, very highly competitive and extremely good players. And then you have others who are kind of average players and others who, you know, are a little less than average. And now you, you know, they might be obviously good enough to make the team. And, um, but now you've, you've got, you know, a, a lot of different personalities. Uh, you know, some are A personalities and some are others. And it, it's, you know, it's, you're pivoting. It's, it's competitive uh, amongst yourselves. And, you know, it, it's it can be very disheartening, especially for a player uh, both ways. For a, a, a um, you know a high achiever on the team, uh, you know, to, to feel like you're being let down by your fellow teammates because they're not in your eyes. And I know this happens because I've spoken to a number of coaches over the years. Um, they feel like you know the others are not quite pulling their weight. Um, and then you have others who are on the other end of the spectrum that feel uh, very defeated because. They they just cannot play quite at that that higher level that maybe some of their other teammates are playing, so they feel like they're letting their team down. So it can create a lot of anxiety, and I'm sure there's a lot of young ladies that went through collegiate careers that potentially maybe could have had uh, a good professional career, uh, but maybe just didn't stick it out after college because of that uh, experience. So it, it works both ways. I think it's a great experience. It's a it's a learning lesson. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I always look at it this way, and I'm sure uh, you you would probably feel the same way, but Golf mimics, I've always said golf mimics life in so many ways. You know, as we navigate the different challenges that we have in the golf course, we have to use not only the skills that we've learned, but sometimes a little creativity to be able to manage some of the circumstances. Well, the very same thing happens in life. You know, we we base what we do on skills that we've developed thus far, but sometimes we have to take chances in other areas and experiment to see what the outcome is going to be, and that's how we continue to learn and grow. And golf is, in my opinion, probably the best game out there to sort of marry together with life than any other sport. And because it is an individual primarily, 
um, um, sport, and it, it has its ups and downs, and there's nobody accountable but you. But when you're in a team format like that, that differs a little bit. Yes, you're out in the golf course hitting the shots yourself, but you've got teammates to, that count on you as well to, again, pull your weight. So it can be very, very uh, traumatic for some, I'm sure. Um, professional golf. Um, you mentioned uh, you played in, in a number of events on the Cactus Tour and, and, and other things and that. Um, how was that transition for you? Did you feel, okay, this is something I really want to do? Talk a little bit about your experience uh, uh, when you hit the professional links. Yeah, so I um, I played in a couple of Cactus Tour events. Um, I did Q School a couple times, and then uh, before it was the Symmetra Tour, I did the profession, uh, the Futures Tour Q School. Um, it was a really rude awakening <laughs> after college <laughs> to for me to have decided to go and try to go pro. And a really big thing that held me back was the finances. Um, my, I sure. mentioned before, my parents, they own a business together. Well, they own a dry cleaning business. They've owned one for over 30, 35 years now. And um, to, to be able to play golf, it, it's not cheap, um, especially women's mm-hmm. golf, because the payouts aren't nearly as high as the men's. Right. And there aren't uh, nearly as many sponsors either. So, and, and this was mm-hmm. kind of at a time before the whole social media thing blew up. So, you know, I, I was sure. looking for sponsors. I had to figure out, you know, it was either through a friend of a friend who knew somebody, or I had to come up with a, you know, I came up with a business plan uh, to present to somebody on how I was going to pay them back their money if they were able to um, sponsor me for a certain number of events throughout the year. Um, so, Outside of that, uh, since I didn't have a job, I mean, I was working at a golf shop, but that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna cover anything. <laughs> so my parents had right. to um, foot the bill, and me coming from, uh, you know, a family where I physically watched them labor for what they made, like mm-hmm. what you know they worked physically right. uh, what they made. So it was really difficult for me to just let go and play golf. Because every time mm-hmm. that I would go out and not win or not place or do what, you know, if I didn't do well, that was just, in my mind at that time, it was just money wasted. And that money wasn't going to come back. So it, it really weighed heavy on me because of that. And, you know, my dad, his health wasn't that great at the time either. So it just, as a daughter, it really hurt. It, you know, I was just hurting for my parents. But um, they, they right. wanted me to do it. So, you know, I should have probably just put some blinders on and just went ahead and just went for it. But I, I couldn't. Like, I just, I, I'm not that type of person. And so um, the financial side of it is a huge, huge factor. And, I'm, and I know that it's a big factor for women even now who are trying to go pro, right? If, mm-hmm. you, if you don't have the full backing yep. of somebody, then it's really difficult to be able to travel and stay at places and do this and do that. So um, it, it kind of, that was the biggest part of it. I also ended up with a shoulder injury. I had um, bursitis in my left shoulder and that, that was a problem. I, I wasn't the best at rehabbing it. I didn't, I didn't want to take any time off to rehab it. So that ended up catching up to me and because I was trying to strategically place the funds um, where I wanted to do it, Q school costs thousands of dollars. 
And then outside of that, if you're mm-hmm. playing a cactus tree, then it's like, it, I think at the time it was like $700 just for the entry fee. So I didn't play in a lot of events. And then I went to Q school and guess what? I'm standing in the middle of a fairway. I'm going, oh man, I was not ready for this. And it just hits you. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and yep. that, in that moment, you're going, man, well, now I have to, you know, kind of regroup and come up with another game plan for next year. But, oh, crap, where am I going to get the funds for this? And it was just a mm-hmm. constant cycle of that. And practicing was fine. I, you know, I practiced and practiced and practiced. I went and got lessons. All of that was fine, but mentally, it, I just wasn't there. And so that was a that was a really big issue. And you know, for anybody that plays competitive golf, like they know, you have to be put in that under pressure every as often as you possibly can, right? And then only mm-hmm. then you're right. able to finally be comfortable in that space a little bit. So it was um, it was quite a challenge for me. I think I found um, working at a golf course, and I started working with some junior golfers, you know, at camps that kind of thing. I found a lot of enjoyment in that. And um, it, that's how actually I ended up kind of progressing into my teaching career was it, you know, I, I took about a year and a half off between, you know, I'm like, well, I quit golf. <laughs> After that, I'm like, what am I going to do? Should I go, you know, sign up for some extra classes at the local community college? Like I wanted to be in PR. That was something that I wanted to maybe explore. I wanted to try this. I wanted to try that. And, you know, that year and a half was an opportunity for me to kind of take, take up anything that I wanted to try to do outside of golf. And um, I ended up just coming right back to teaching. Um, and it was, it, it felt the most rewarding for me. I absolutely love it. Uh, I wouldn't change my job for the world. Um, I, I, I think that because of the experiences that I had, I am able to, Hopefully, I'm able to guide <laughs> players and parents or whoever is within, you know, uh, the player's realm in, in terms of helping them kind of get started or continue or help them kind of give them suggestions to, to make that next decision for them. Right. And, it, you know, you, you raise a very interesting um, point as well. And I'm going to use Cindy uh, Miller as an example. You know, she's mentioned many times on our program together, the women of golf, of course, she um, first sort of got her notoriety, if you will, in a public forum. Uh, She was on uh, one of the early big breaks. And Mm -hmm. then she went on and competed on the LPJ tour for, I think, three or four seasons. Um, And now, of course, uh, you know, uh, plays when she can on the legends tour, uh, which is the, the women's senior tour. But she had a very similar um, you know, to your situation. I mean, obviously she was older when she uh, began playing professionally um, and was a little bit further along in her career. So finances um, were a little bit better for her. But, you know, she, you know, realized that she was not going to be the number one player in the world. And there came a point in time that, you know, obviously she still wants to be competitive, but she recognized that she had a talent for teaching game. And now is quite an accomplished and a very well-respected LPGA teach professional, um, you know, around the United States, um, and has been, you know, president of her section for a number of years, and just, you know, it's just a gives back so much to this game. And but like you, 
she made that transition from player to teacher, and she often talks about how her playing has helped her uh, with her teaching career. Touch on maybe some areas that you have found um, from being a player and now teacher, how that has helped your your, uh, teaching side of things. Yeah, so I've been to several golf instructors just for me, you know, personally to hone my skill as a player. And I was always that, that student that just kept asking why, 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 if it didn't make sense to me, I, I was going to ask the teacher, like, can I need you to further explain this until it's, you know, it makes sense because you're not putting, you're not putting, I was that difficult student <laughs> that, that you know, was constantly asking those questions. And and because I, I wanted to know, I wanted to know how the golf swing was structured and why it was structured in that way and why somebody taught it in that way. So um, I recognized pretty early on um, when you know when I was able to make my own decisions for teachers uh, on who I was going to go to. I, I recognized that certain teachers were field teachers, certain teachers were very technical and. Um, it was just a matter of who I was going to go to that I was able to fit in with, right, and to be able to really take in all of the information that uh, the teacher was going to give me. And um, through that experience, I, I feel like now being a teacher myself, I, I try my best to explain one thing 25 different ways to somebody and and I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll just keep going until it clicks with them. And I think that is so important because I mean, I understand it, but if you don't understand it as a student, then how are you supposed to improve? Um, And and I, I feel a very heavy responsibility to be able to explain something to you (laughs) as the teacher. So, just going to different types of lessons and learning from different instructors. And I feel like it was almost like a teacher in training, right, as a player, because you, you, you get so in the weeds when it comes to your own game um, that you just, I don't know, your knowledge just starts to expand and expand without even knowing it, right? But then it's just a matter of how you package it and you're able to explain it to the next person. So, that was definitely the biggest help I think as a player was to be able to learn from so many different teachers. Um, And then the next part of it is I know how you feel when you're in a golf tournament and you're struggling. And I know what it feels like when you're in a bunker and you, it took you four tries to get it out. Right. I can empathize with that. And I think it's really important as a teacher to be able to empathize with your students. And if you're out of touch with your student or the skill level of your student, then I, I, I really, truly think it's time to reassess, right? And you have to kind of get back to what, you, what your, your students are doing. Um, so that is the biggest takeaway, I think, is just being able to learn from multiple teachers, the different styles mm-hmm. of teaching, the different methods, because everyone has a different type of method. Um, and you know, Mike Molaska left a very lasting impression with me. He, um, I went to him for a few lessons, and he was the first teacher that I actually went to, which was pretty late in my career, in my, my playing career. He was like, well, your, your body is a certain way. Like, it's, it's built a certain way. So how, how yep. are you supposed to swing a club like someone that's six? I'm, so I'm 5'2 on a good day. 
And he goes, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to swing a club uh, like somebody that's six <clears throat> five? How's that supposed to happen? And I looked at him and I was like, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> and he, you know, he, he just made sure that I knew that there's nothing wrong with the type of swing that my body produces. Mm-hmm. It's my swing. Right. And because my body is the way that it is, that's just how my swing is. But there are commonalities between good swings and not so good swings. And those are the things that I think as a teacher, it's really important to be able to pinpoint to your student is, is okay, well, this person clearly just wants to improve on, you know, point A. How am I supposed to, as a teacher, just help them with what they want? I'm not trying to rip their swing apart. I'm not trying to turn their swing into, you know, Dustin Johnson's swing because they're not going to be able to maintain that. And, and he was, Mike was really one of the first teachers that I, I met who, who really just hit that point across over and over and over again to a player, right? It's not like I was learning as a teacher. I was, I was a player at the time. Um, so, so yeah, those, I, I think just being able to have experienced numerous instructors from a player standpoint better helps me explain things to, to students, to people. You know, and, and, and you're exactly right. Um, you know, I think one of the things that golf instruction has uh, and instructors particularly have learned over the last several years. Um, one of the one of the problems I think that was in the industry for a long time is we didn't understand what you just explained now. The fact that you know you're five two and and you know somebody else is six four six five that the swings are going to be fundamentally different. There are going to be similarities. There are going to be certain key areas within the swing that are going to be important and need to, to sort of match up. But um, some individuals uh, may swing a little bit with a more of an upright uh, swing plane, and others may be a little bit flatter, again, depending on their build. One of the problems that golf instruction had for years was they, what I term as they sort of pigeonholed everybody into the same format. So it didn't matter how tall or how short or whatnot, is everybody was taught the same way. And through technology and just through um, a better understanding of the golf swing is, um, and, uh, you know, top instructors like, like Mike have come to learn that we are all in individually different. So what might work for you might not necessarily work for me. Um, and again, there are some core uh, areas that, you know, are, are constant in the golf swing, but there are others that there are room for, for flexibility or negotiating, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at somebody like some of the older players, like a, a Lee Trevino. I mean, that's not a swing that you're going to teach a modern-day player, mm-hmm. um, but yet it was very, very effective, and he won multiple majors and many other tournaments along the way. It worked for him, but if you mm-hmm. broke down his swing, there are certain key areas within his golf swing that would match up with virtually any other player that's out there. So you're exactly right in your analogy is as a teacher, you're able to draw not only from your playing experience to have that empathy and and understanding for many of your students, uh, but you also were able to recognize that because we are all different, we have to approach it differently with each student and not just try to say, well, here's what you need to do and yet you need to do this too and so on and so forth because everybody is different and everybody's going to react differently and everybody learns differently. Some are visual, some mm-hmm. are uh, kinesthetic and, and so on and so forth. So I think this has really helped move golf instruction along over the last 
you know, a few decades um, into what we have today. Um, now, you have a lot of, uh, you know, I mentioned some of the places that you had worked in the past, and you mentioned some as well, and now you're at the 1757 uh, Golf Club. Tell us about some of the programs uh, that you're doing there and um, why you feel that they've been successful. Yeah, so I started at 1757 um, last year, and they were um, nice enough to let me on to their team. <laughs> and um, at the time, they, they already had a pretty successful academy uh, they were running. There's nine instructors there. Um, I believe I'm the 10th one there. So lots of instructors, lots of different personalities, which is great. The one thing that I did find that was missing was a, a solid women's program, like a women's only program, and a right. uh, girls, a junior girls only program. So those are the two kind of pilot um, classes or programs that I started there. And the thing about I think um, females uh, when starting something new, especially with something like golf, it's just really important that we feel like we're in a safe space, right? When it comes to people making sure that, you know, I don't feel like I'm being judged or, you know, I don't want to mm -hmm. be embarrassed. I don't want to be any of those things. I want to be able to learn without any kind of barriers. So um, being able to start these programs, one is called Women Who Golf. Um, I have currently three levels of, of women who golf level one, just being some, someone that literally might not even have golf clubs, right? They just, they just want to start or they just picked up the game um, all the way to level three who are now avid golfers who happen to be a part of a women's league or, you know, they play two or three times a week with a group of people and they want to be able to take their game to the next level. So we go out onto the golf course for management. Um, Girls who golf is kind of similar. Um, I try to keep the groups pretty small. Like I'll max out probably around six people, uh, six women or six girls, depending on how long the class is. And it's just really important that there's, um, I, I make sure to establish that no one is going to judge you while you're playing or practicing or doing whatever. And we get all of these questions that people have that, that any beginner or intermediate golfer is too afraid to ask out of the way. And I think that's one of the keys to um, at least the programs that I have so far is that they're, I'm an open book. And when it comes to anything golf-related, come and ask me. Even if it's not about the golf mm -hmm. thing, if it's something about, like, if you don't know how to make a tee time, ask me. I'm your ambassador to the golf game. So um, you can ask me anything. And that approach has been pretty successful for me. Um, and also, I'm very accessible to my students. I'm in contact with most of my students week in and week out, even if they don't come see me. Um, I use the Coach Now app to make sure that we're in constant communication. And I just check in because if you started <laughs> golfing, it's already a really difficult sport. And like you said, it, and golf emulates life. And it's always nice to have mm -hmm. somebody check in on you once in a while, you know? So um, those mm -hmm. are the two main programs that I'm running right now. Um, I also started one called Tiny Tees, which is for ages four to six. Um, and that one, it's a really fun class. Um, parents are actually involved in that one. Um, and I, I purposely made it that way. Initially, it didn't start out that way. I actually just preferred that the students were there on their own. But then what I realized was when they go home, the parents are teaching them. 
even if the parents aren't golfers, they're going, oh, well, you're supposed right. to do this with the golf club. And I, <laughs> I felt that it was very imperative that I involved the, the parents to teach them how to teach their kids while they were at home. So at that age, obviously, you know, when your kid's five, you're not going to just drop them off at the golf course <laughs> and let them go practice. Right. So um, it turned into like a, like a, a really nice hour long, I get to hang out with my child also learn about golf and I get to learn how to teach my child and that's the type of class that it is and I try to mask uh, golf as much as I can for that particular class so I'll, I'll swap out golf balls for tennis balls I'll swap out you know I, I, I bring these ginormous Jenga blocks uh, I bought one of those guard you know you know like those backyard block sets and um, yep. is a you know for example They'll do a little putting contest with a tennis ball. If they knock it into a big hula hoop, they get to run over, grab a block, and start building their building. And they love stuff like that, right? Like anything that doesn't mm -hmm. look like golf, they love. <laughs> so they're learning how to golf, um, but they just don't know it yet. And the parents really appreciate it, too, because by the end of the class, they're exhausted. <laughs> so it's good. <laughs> Well, you got yeah. You have to you have to find ways of wearing them down, and and as as you know, and and definitely I know, um, as we get older, uh, obviously I'm older than you are, but um, you don't have the same energy levels, and and yeah, you got to find ways to wear these kids down because they just uh, you know are relentless, and and you know it, it goes to another point too, uh, you know, especially with juniors, but really with everybody, uh, as a teaching professional, you have to find ways of making learning the game fun because there's nothing in my opinion. And listen, I love this game and I love, you know, hitting the, hitting the range. And, and, uh, I, over my, my years, I've been a little bit of a range rat at times and I love hitting golf balls and working the ball and doing things. But even I would find times it'd get a little bit boring. And in today's game where we are so limited for our time because of other activities, People don't have an hour or an hour and a half or what have you to go up and hit range balls. So we have to find ways of accomplishing essentially the same thing in a shorter time frame, but also make it interesting. And, you know, what you just pointed out for the kids, uh, you know, would be interested, uh, interesting to any kid. Um, you're teaching them a little bit about golf, but they're doing other things and having some fun along the way. So that, like you said, they don't really feel like they're learning golf, but in reality they are. But for the adults, it's even more important because they go up there and they just rake and hit balls on the range and they don't really accomplish anything. So what do you do in your programs to help the adults to kind of keep them engaged? And more importantly, one of the big caveats in golf is, you know, when you've signed somebody up for a group of lessons, you've given them the first lesson, you've got some homework to do as we sometimes refer to it. And what do you do to keep them interested and enthusiastic in between your next session? Yeah, that's a great question there, Ted. So when it comes to my adult classes, um, I'm really, you know, 1757 is a great facility because we have top tree for technology. So if you imagine, if you don't know what that is, it's um, basically imagine, you know, the top golf type of technology that they have, uh, but add in the capability of being able to do long drive contests and um, being able to, basically have a launch monitor in, in your face the entire time of your practice session. 
um, along with different types of games. They Like one, for example, that they just added, which my students love, is called Go Fish. And, um, you know, there's on the screen, there's these little circle um, shark fins with, you know, like kind of swimming around. And if you hit the shark fin, then you get a certain number of points and you, you caught like a whale or a shark or, you know, something along the lines of that. So I think technology is a really great way to keep um, players engaged because we're so used to staring at our screens and we're so used to all of that anyway. Why not incorporate that into right. your golf practice, right? So the way that I mm-hmm. like the adults to kind of um, – do their thing, and I will do it during the class too, is we'll have long drive contests. We'll see who can get closest to the pin, um, and you're able to see it on the screen, and that's the kind of stuff that keeps them happy and entertained <laughs> during during sure. the class, right? Because there's a little bit of competition, um, but also you're yep. able to see the immediate feedback on the screen, which is great. Um, and then sometimes, you know, especially with my beginner classes, because I know that they, they can't control the ball, it's just a matter of them being able to uh, break their own PR. So, for example, if their seven iron only went 100 yards, right, the first couple golf balls um, dur- during the rest of the session, we're going to keep working on that seven iron. I'm going to incorporate instruction, and we're going to see if we can bump that up to 110 yards and bump that up to 120 yep. yards by the end of the class, you know. So that's how I like to approach it for the classes. Um, as far as the individual lessons go, I am a, a big fan of plans, of game plans, and mm-hmm. a big fan of giving out drills. And this is what you're going to do, uh, you know, if you're going to go out and practice four days a week and you're going to get a chance to go out to the driving range 45 minutes per session, let's pick, you know, day one and day three, you're going to work on this. Day two and day four, you're going to work on this. And a very, very clear game plan um, that the student and I talk through before the end of the lesson gives them the opportunity to succeed uh, and then come back for the next lesson so we can progress. And I think that is a really important thing to do because I'm the expert, right? So if I'm the expert and you're you're the novice, well, the novice isn't going to know how to efficiently practice. It's up to the expert to let the novice know, this is how you, let's, let's try it this way. And then the next week they'll come back and they'll give me feedback. They'll say, oh, well, I did this drill and this drill on these days, and this, it turned out to be great, but this drill wasn't so great. So can we change this out? And maybe if you can explain this to me further, um, we can come up with, a, you know, another game plan. And that's how I like to do it between lessons. Um, and that keeps them busy right? It's not just aimlessly hitting a basket of golf balls. Like you're there for a purpose. So let's start actually figuring out how you can block practices and work on specific things so your swing can get better and then your game can get better. Yeah. Excuse me. Pardon me. Exactly. And, you know, again, I think for, for teaching professionals, in this day and age, again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with so many different time restraints and so many other things, we have to kind of reinvent the process a little bit um, and have certainly, you know, over the last little while. Um, technology, as you pointed out, plays a big role. Um, creating um, plans, game plans for our students to help them 
transition from both on the practice tee out on the golf course. That's another area that a lot of golfers struggle with is they get out there on the, on the practice tee and, you know, they do a great job. They're hitting some solid shots and then they step up in the first tee and it's like, well, where did he or she go? That was just, you know, out mm-hmm. the tee, uh, on the practice tee, you know, 10 minutes ago. So, you know, that's a difficult area as well that I think we, we all struggle with. Um, very quickly as, as we, you know, it's hard to believe it. We're, we're almost out of time, but I, I'll give you a few more minutes. Um, do you have some favorite tips that you like to, to give your students? Yeah. Um, so going, just going back to um, what you just said, the transition between the driving range and to the golf course, that's, that's like the number one question that I get asked. Like I play, I, you know, I do so well during my range session. And then the second I get out to the golf course, I play like beep, right. That's, that's usually mm-hmm. what the conversation is. And um, one of the things that I like to ask my students to do while they're on the driving range is to actually visualize and pretend that they're on the golf course while they're on the driving range. Mm-hmm. So if, if the, the right. driving range happens to have like some sort of like yardage markers, right, any kind of um, posts, then visualize a fairway for yourself. Start with your, your mm-hmm. driver. Visualize that you're on the first tee. See if you can get, knock that, that driver shot in between the posts in, in your little pretend fairway. Then grab a 7-iron or an 8-iron or whatever it may be that, you know, you decide to choose to get onto a, a green or somewhere close to another yardage marker and actually play out holes on the driving range. And now, granted, you're not going to be able to do uh, putting, but you will be able to practice driving accuracy you'll be able to practice your, your second shots and you'll be able to practice your wedges. And it's just, a, I think it's the act of um, just putting yourself in that situation over and over again while you're practicing makes it that much easier when you go out to the golf course and you're, you're stepping up to an actual tee box. So just that mental right. practice, the, the imagery practice is going to be, a, I, it is a very common tip that I, I give out to people. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great one, Kathy. And I know a lot of coaches use that now um, as as one of their prominent tips to give their students because there nothing beats on course um, reality for for lack of better terms. Because obviously, you know, when you get out in the golf course, you have different lies. You have some are hilly, some are um, you know uphill, downhill, whatever. Um, and obviously, you have some thick, gnarly rough here and there. Where on the practice tee, you for the most part, you're on a flat surface and very tightly mowed, so you've got perfect conditions every time. And it's not re- right. always realistic to um, playing conditions, so it's good to do it. And what I have always done with, with students that I've worked with is I always say to them, you know, imagine, you know, if you have a course that you, uh, whether it be your home course or a course that you particularly play often, you know, vis- let's visualize the first three holes and let's play each of mm-hmm. those holes here on the range. So how you know how far and do that so that when they step up because usually by about three holes people kind of fi- start to find their groove you know the first hole they're yeah. a little bit nervous the second hole they're kind of okay but by about the third maybe even fourth hole they're kind of getting into a rhythm okay i know i'm hitting it now and i feel a little bit more comfortable so i always like to say let's play the first three holes of your favorite course whether it's your home course if you're a club member uh or a course that you know municipal course that you like to play and let's let's yeah. visualize those first three holes and Walk them through that process, okay? What's the tee shot? You know, how, how far is the yardage 
on your first hole. It's a par four. Great. Let's imagine you're playing a par four, and we know that you hit your drives, you know, 225 yards on average. So let's let's set up to position accordingly. And I think that way, once they get to those first three holes, visually in their minds, they've already learned uh, what they need to do, and it's just a matter of putting those mm-hmm. steps into practice. And then that gives them confidence hitting those first three holes. That kind of gets them over those first three hole jitters, if you will, uh, and yeah. they're able to do that. And as far as the putting uh, end of it as well, um, you know, uh, one of the gentlemen that was on earlier tonight, uh, Clint Wright, is a, a 30-year-plus member of the PGA uh, in, out in uh, the Carolinas, and he always says, you know, let's set benchmarks when we're on the putting surface. So when you're on the, uh, the practice putting green is – he will uh, use certain drills to gauge distance and speed. Um, direction isn't as important initially because uh, as long as you know how fast the putts are rolling, virtually any course that you go out and any green that you're going to be on, um, once you know how fast and how far those putts are going to go given any type of shot, it's a little easier than to line it up accordingly. So that's something that he likes to do with his students and you're exactly right. I think you'll find that if you mimic on-course play with your students on the range, it helps them to make that transition a little bit easier. In our final few moments, um, I know some folks will probably might like to reach out to you and connect with you. I know you're on social media as well as at 1757 uh, up in your area. Um, what's the best way to reach you? And uh, feel free to share uh, some of your social media platforms uh, that you use to uh, express uh, your golf instruction. So floor is yours. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Ted. <laughs> um, well, you can reach <laughs> me welcome. at Kathy. Um, yeah, you can go to my website, kathykimgolf.com. You'll be able to um, send me a message there. You can check out my programming. Um, and I'll, I have a lot of instructional videos on YouTube. You can just search for Kathy Kim Golf. And then um, if you want to check out what I'm doing on a daily, <laughs> I'm on Instagram at Kathy Kim Golf, and that's kind of my main social media platform. I do have a Facebook page as well. Um, a lot of the, the um, information and videos do funnel to my Facebook page. So if you're a Facebooker, go ahead and look me up uh, at Kathy Kim Golf. Perfect. And, um, you know, it's 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 a pleasure and an honor having you on the show, and I'm looking forward to, uh, as I mentioned at the top, uh, Kathy is now part of the Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 Instructor Team, and uh, she's already submitted her first tip uh, to uh, the magazine, and that'll be coming out in, um, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but uh, roughly about a month's time, so I will keep everybody, of course, updated as I usually do. Um, so I'm very, very excited to have you be part of that, and and uh, be, to become a tr- contributor to the magazine, I know you'll bring some uh, great knowledge and great still skills uh, set, if you will. Uh, but thank you very much, and I will definitely have you uh, back again on both shows to uh, to share some more great insight um, on future shows. But uh, thank you very much, Kathy, for joining me tonight. Uh, thanks so much, Ted, for having me, and I am so excited to be a part of the Golf Tips Magazine family. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm. Super, super excited. <laughs> and I'm, I'd be more than happy to come back to your podcast. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, you know what? You, you never know what's going to happen. And um, I, I may even have to, uh, you know, uh, a little bit later on, we'll talk about this sometime off air, but uh, get you involved in the Coach's Corner panel as well. We have a, some interesting discussions 
uh, most weeks on that segment as well. So we'll see what your schedule is like, but uh, that might be fun for you as well to uh, uh, collaborate with some of your fellow professionals. But Kathy, thank you yeah. again for joining me uh, both on the Women of Golf uh, Tuesday morning uh, and again tonight on Golf Talk Live. Uh, have a great uh, evening and a great weekend. Thanks so much, Chad. Bye, guys. Have a great night. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, Kathy Kim, a, a PJN, LPJ teacher professional, and you can find her at the 1757 Club, which is out in Virginia. And uh, you can just Google that and you'll find it. Or you can Google Kathy Kim Golf and uh, get access to all of her social media platforms. Uh, she's got some great video tips and all of her contact information there. So if you're in her area and uh, you want to get in touch uh, or maybe you want to find out uh, you know, uh, where some of her uh, instructional videos are, uh, you can get that at kathykimgolf.com. I want to, again, thank uh, the guys earlier on in Coach's Corner for doing a great job, Pete Buchanan and Clint Wright. Thanks, guys, uh, for always bringing your best to the panel. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing you guys next time here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.